Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's interview, just wanted to drop a little reminder to stay up to date with all the latest episodes of On The Margin. You can subscribe to the BlockWorks Macro YouTube. Just go up there, just click the little uh, subscribe button, or you can click the links at the top of this episode. It'll take you over to Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred platform is. Just subscribe there. If you could, leave a rating and review. Really appreciate it. All right, on with the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I am joined by my regal co-host, Ms. Mark Yusko. And I'm using the word regal here because we had the king's birthday and I saw your queen's birthday this past That's week. That's right. So congratulations to the Yusko household. Yeah, this this is like the longest week of the year for me. It seems like every day is a celebration. You know, we got we got we got Elvis's birthday, which happens to be my my son's birthday. We call him the prince, Prince William. Uh, you know, that was the day I said we we're going to crown the king, and I was a couple days late because we did it on the tenth on on Hal Finn Day. Uh, you know, then we have my wife's birthday on the ninth, um, which definitely she, you know, I I had to to do some some scraping um, in a good way. I mean, we actually went out and uh, went down to Pinehurst for for a day and and hung out together, which was nice, um, but. Then we had the ETFs on Wednesday, and then you and I, I mean, twice in a week, I get to do a podcast with you. It's, it's unbelievable, double blessing. Um, and then we had yesterday, you know, 11-11, you know, lucky number, 11 ETFs, you know, trading on 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 the 11th, uh, which also happens to be the first Bitcoin transaction day. So we had, you know, block one day, we had Hal Finn day, run a Bitcoin day, we had first transaction day, so many things to celebrate. So it feels like this week's been going on and on and on. And uh, I was joking yesterday, I did something and I, and I wore my green pants because, you know, I've been wearing my orange pants just about every day and, and they're back. I mean, I do have them, I do have them back on today, which they could probably stand up by themselves, but I, I have the uh, magic internet money wizard join us. Uh, on because look, this is this is about it's time to join us, right? This is I said a couple tweets yesterday. I said one, you know, the boomers are coming. The boomers are coming. Uh, you know, harkening back to the revolutionary times. I didn't realize that by evening, all people were going to be talking about on the internet was Vanguard's idiotic decision to not allow their own customers to to buy the ETF, even though they're allowed to buy the futures ETF and MicroStrategy and the miners. I mean, mine blows at the idiocy of that. They have allowed their customers to buy every other form of Bitcoin proxy. They've never said a word. This is 100% political. This is 100% negotiated Okay, you firms, because Merrill's in here too, Bank of America, they are all in cahoots. And and look, they can keep trying to stop this from happening, but it's gonna happen. And if this is what if if you if they think this is on brand, they're going to lose an entire generation of investors, an entire generation. And by the way, y'all. that younger generation are going to get our money. So all the money that built Vanguard is going to leave, literally. That won't be tomorrow. It won't be in a day. It won't be in a week. But that's just ridiculous. Anyway, sorry. I totally agree. I I, I, honestly, I'm not that upset about it, though, because this is kind of the 
this is how it goes, you know. And and to your point about uh, to your point about losing the trust. I mean, Hester Peirce, uh, you know, one of the SEC commissioners wrote a, a phenomenal statement. You and I talked about this with Michael. And honestly, you know, so I've sat on this. And uh, so we we read on the, uh, let me see, I'll, I'll actually get it uh, to read. But when uh, Chair Gary Gensler approved the Bitcoin ETPs, he put out a statement essentially saying what was behind the decision to put out, uh, to approve the the series of Bitcoin ETFs that applied. He, he implied, actually, he directly stated it was it was because of what the the courts ended up deciding, and he ended on this this note. Though we're merit neutral, I'd note that the underlying assets in the metals ETPs have consumer and industrial use cases. While in contrast, Bitcoin is primarily a speculative volatile assets that also used for illicit activity, including ransomware, money laundering, sanction evasion, and terrorist financing. While we approve the listing and trading of certain spot Bitcoin ETP shares today, we do not approve or endorse Bitcoin. And I, so I, I was kind of like just kind of laughing at that, and that's a little silly, but and we. And we slash it doesn't give a fuck. I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm sorry. We, we never asked for your endorsement nor your approval. The CEO of Bitcoin didn't show up to, you know, sign in. And I mean, the arrogance of that statement, the, again, the idiocy of that statement, Right. I'm somewhere in the middle on on you. I'm not ragingly angry at it, but I I would love if anyone listening to this show has a history, or I just want to understand if there's precedent for these types of comments. You know what I mean? Like when none, when no, no, I checked none, no precedent. Okay, none. that was my and question. Fact, it's like that's is it usual <laughs> for this to happen? No, I, I found that very bizarre. Actually, the more I sat let's look at this. Did the SEC chairman? put out a statement of any kind, forget one as pointed and baseless and ridiculous as the one he put out on, on the Bitcoin ETP. Did he ever put out any warning on the cannabis ETFs before they lost 80, 90 plus percent of their money? Did he ever, ever once make any comment of any kind anywhere on the triple inverse levered ETNs and ETPs that have lost 99.99999%. I mean, they literally lose money every single day. There's no way they could ever make money. They're not designed. They're, they're That's a really good instrument. point. That's a really good point. What? One comment of any kind, a tweet, a, a comment to his wife. I mean, not one comment. And yet... How many hundreds, literally hundreds of comments did the guy make on this? I can't even talk about uh, it. I, I can't, no. Hey, everyone. We'll be back to the program in just a moment. But before we return, wanted to let you know about Das London. Das London is the largest institutionally focused conference in crypto hosted by Blockworks. But I wanted to give you an update because we are now 10 times oversubscribed for this conference. So the bad news is we have actually got to lower, as much as I love you guys, the listeners, we've got to lower our discount rate to margin 10. That's going to get you 10% off. I would highly recommend that you do that soon because you might have noticed ticket prices have gone up 200 pounds and they're only going up from here. And I actually can't guarantee that we're going to have this discount rate forever. Since we last talked, we've had a whole bunch of new great speakers sign up for the conference. We've got Brad Garlinghouse as a keynote. We've got Pascal Gauthier as a keynote. We've got new speakers signed on from Goldman Sachs. 
from Franklin Templeton, uh, from some of the largest family offices and allocators based out of the Europe. So Theta Capital Management, L1 Digital. And actually on day one of the conference, we're going to be having an investor day, which is a Chatham House Rules hosted by some of the largest investors in crypto. Then the other thing that happened is we've got our VIP tickets that just went live. There are only 60, but we've actually had a bunch of them that just sold out even in one day. So if you want to be a VIP at the conference, make sure you get your ticket. And again, use code MARGIN10 uh, to hang out with me and Mark, uh, March 18th to the 20th in sunny London. Cheers. Well, let me, um, all right, I, we're, we're going to go over the the data from the day one in terms of volume and flows. And actually, there was a very cool surprise in there to, to, to hint a little bit. And then you and I are going to move on to macro, talk a little bit about the inflation print and the cooling labor market. But before we get there, I had a... Uh, so I went back and looked. So for folks who uh, are less aware of the history of Bitcoin ETF filings, the first uh, two folks that filed this were the Winklevi twins back in 2013. Now, I went back and I found the price of what Bitcoin was trading at at that period of time, $98. <laughs> the price appreciation that you missed out on in the last 10 years was 51,000%. Um, so thank you for the protection from, from the SEC on, on that regard. But I, you know what, the only analogy that I, that I could find, and it actually almost lined up in terms of the percent appreciation was when Apple went public, uh, back in, I have the, I have the date here back in the 1980s, in 1980, Massachusetts regulators actually prohibited individual investors in the state from buying the IPO shares because they deemed it too risky. So there's a reason why. And, and who, who comes from that state? What what regulator comes from that state? Elizabeth Warren. And actually, Elizabeth yeah. Warren. Yeah. You know, you know what the sad thing about this? So like, she tweets out, the SEC gov is wrong on the law and wrong on the policy with respect to the Bitcoin ETF decision. If the SEC is going to let crypto burrow even deeper into our financial system, and it's more urgent than ever that crypto follow basic anti money anti money laundering rules. See, and she got where, community noted. She got I know, community noted again. Because she got community noted because where is her handler that says, you know, Liz, saying things that are untrue is bad policy, right? Saying that the SEC got it wrong on the law is incorrect. The law is very clear, very clear that they got it right on the law, that they could not obfuscate without cause and be prejudiced against a person trying to create a product for, for the public. So the law is very clear. And look, I'm not a lawyer, but the law was decided and there is case law and precedent that says the SEC had to do this if they didn't have a good reason not to. So she's wrong on that. And saying they're wrong on policy, it's not a policy-making entity. You're a policy-making entity, okay? You're part of one. It's not, not you alone, but the SEC doesn't make policy. So that, that yeah, she's just... I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I Is it... I mean, even on, it's it's funny, like even on JP Morgan, the I, I saw a screenshot where, you know, you're you're allowed to trade the the Bitcoin ETFs on their, you know, through their platform, but there's a little warning, just like there is on 
you know, a, a carton of cigarettes that it might cause you cancer. It's, it's volatile and all this stuff. But Mark, all of this stuff, this is, this is going to be, when, when you and I are chatting in, in 20 years and we're, go, when we're, we're telling younger people, you wouldn't believe the, you know, we're going to be telling these stories. U.S. regulators came out and said this, the SEC did this. And all these young people are going to be like, what? No way. You're exaggerating. I, I know. There's no, I know. There's no I, way. I know you're right. I, I, I know you're right. Except and, and everyone, and the best part about this, every single person, every person right now that's listening being like, oh, everyone's going to memory hold this. No one is going to, in 10 or 15 or 20 years when this is all normal, no one's going to be like, yeah, I was on the other side of this. Everyone the whole time is going to rewrite mental history and say, yeah, I always liked crypto. I always knew there was something to this stuff. It's just, this is just well, no, no, that's you know? that's a hundred percent true. But you know, it it what what bothers me, right? Because I am a boomer. I am one of the gerontocracy. That this is what this is, right? This is gerontocracy gone bad. Right? I, 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 it's hard for me to say these words out loud, but as you age. Your brain loses plasticity. You get stubborn and set in your ways. You 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 get cronyist, right? Crony is a term that that comes from a physical appearance and action of of older people. Um, you know, a crone is is a physical descriptor. So this, I don't like it, and I. I look at what's happening that you have these, and some of them in their 60s, but mostly 70s and 80s, you know, septa and and octogenarians, basically horse trading with one another to try to maximize their stack and keep all you you other people in the dark and, and feed them bullshit like mushrooms. And I... It makes me angry, right? It I mean, like makes me angry because I, I don't believe I'm that. I don't believe just because I'm old, I have to be like that. And it's it's very frustrating. I mean, the kleptocracy that exists at the top of our political system and the rigging of the game for their benefit and against the average person, it's it's criminal. I mean, one, it's criminal, and two, it's just wrong. It's ethically and morally wrong. And so to be on the wrong side of ethics and morals and yet to seem so righteous and sanctimonious in your tweets, it, it, it literally makes me wretch. <laughs> literally. I'm not going to push back on you on that. I find it, I find it wildly frustrating as well. Because really, and then I want to get into the actual data here, but really... The the irony of these yeah that old guy was really ranting and, and by the way no, 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 I want to I give a shout out no no I want to give a shout out to because this happens now every week and and look this is so cool it actually makes I mean you know hanging out with you on Friday makes my week but but it makes my week when someone comes up to me in the street and says hey you know I watch your show every week thanks and this one was really cool because I, I took my my little guy with all his friends. Uh, to Kanki, the Japanese steakhouse for for dinner, and uh, I had this great picture where they did they you know they did the fire thing in the middle, and the guy the kids were like big fire big fire, so this dude, I mean, 
It was like on, on their eyebrows. I mean, it was big fire. Um, but but I'm walking in and and there's this uh, couple and my my youngest is 13 and then my oldest is 34. So there's a big gap between oldest, middle, and, and youngest. And so there's this young couple with a couple kids and he's like, are you Mark? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I watch your show every week. And and Nikki and I went to school with, with Sarah in high school. I'm like, oh my God, this is this is so awesome. And so awesome. shout out to Kyle and Nikki. And uh, I, I just think it's so cool. Man, that is, that makes me happy too. That makes me really happy. Um, all right, let's get into that. Let's get into the, the, some of these statistics here. I'm going to share my screen just to, by the way, this is, so the, the volume data that we're going to go through here is, is somewhat settled, but the, uh, but the flows data, we're not going to have the, the complete picture until later today. But in terms of volume, it was, it was, it was a pretty record breaking day for the entire, let's call it the entire spot family or uh, family of spot ETFs. So if you're, if you're following along via video here, either on Spotify or YouTube, you can see tickers. So GBTC is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which successfully converted into an ETF. And if you missed um, Mark and my interview uh, or, or chat with, with Michael, or there's a, a, a couple good ones to go back and listen to. We've talked with James Seyfert and Matt Hogan and Eric Balkunas a little while ago. But you know the amount of uh, assets that GBTC was coming in, obviously they had you know, about 25 billion in, in AUM in that, in that trust was a massive advantage, although they kept their fees extremely high, uh, 150 basis points. So that was kind of, they had that working against them. Just very interesting. Uh, IBIT is the BlackRock uh, fire, the iShares BlackRock uh, filing. FBTC is uh, Fidelity, ARCB is ARC, et cetera, et cetera. So overall about $4 billion worth of uh, volume on the day. Just very good. Very good. Um, the the there's a, a whole complex number there, but that includes um, you know uh, GBTC as well and and Bitto. A Bitto had another record breaking day, like two billion dollars worth of volume on the futures ETF. I guess that was hedging or speculation or whatever. But overall, the volume number was um, you know that's the number that's being talked about a lot. It's important. Yeah, this is but, the wrong number to talk about though. So yeah. much of this is. People like Ken Griffin getting rich, richer, richer. And, you know, all there's a massive business of scalping ETFs. And and this is not didn't just start yesterday. This is this goes on every single day. There are firms like AQR and and others. They have entire quant groups and Millennium and and a bunch of the big hedge funds, uh, Renaissance. they, They do this all day. So there were a lot of people who were uh, shorting Bitcoin and buying, you know, the ETF or, or you know, shorting the ETFs and, and buying Bitcoin or shorting Bitto and buying, you know, FBTC. And I mean, the amount of, of arbitrage that goes on and part of it is because of, of the unique ways they trade, right? ETFs trade the, literally the last minute of the day. They don't actually trade all day. They they actually do their buying and selling uh, the last minute of the day. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on. The other thing that people aren't paying attention to is, again, those flows have nothing to do with the money that came in, which is something you're going to talk, talk about. Right. Um, so on the flow, the flow standpoint is that's kind of the, you're, you're absolutely right on, there's a whole bunch of different incentives around the volume, 
Also keep in mind that, especially with a product like GBTC, there might be some trade or there might be some selling, right? Some investors that have been locked up for a really long time haven't had the ability to get liquidity. They might be moving out. But what we're looking at now is the, the day one flows volume. And again, I th- this is incomplete. You'll notice that GBTC is zero. We should probably expect net outflows uh, from GBTC. But um, we're looking at, as of right now, uh, $720 million worth of inflows. Again, we should probably expect that number to be adjusted lower. But in terms of the winners, uh, the, the number one winner in terms of flows uh, was BITB, which is Bitwise. Bitwise, baby. Let's go. Yeah. And, you know, and look, I did it. I actually, I actually did Scott Melker's show yesterday live during the open with Hunter. I mean, mm. I, Hunter's such a great guy. And, and you know, we've been partners with them really since inception. Um, and for him to be on the show with us live at 9.30 when things started and you hear this big thing in the background, all those, those guys were cheering, you know, because it's 6.30 out in California. And Scott was like, for the love of Satoshi, will you please go be with your people and celebrate? And uh, it was cool. But Hunter's amazing. So I'm, I'm super psyched. But look, they had, a, they had a very simple strategy. We're going to be the lowest fee ETF. And so they had to revise their fees down. What's crazy Here's some inside baseball. Um, the original discussions about where people were going, and not, not, not like collusion and collab, but what people were hearing was that BlackRock thought they were going to start around 80, 80. And BlackRock's first salvo into the war was 30. So somebody thought better of it. And they got all the way down to 30. And then there were multiple revisions over the last couple of days. And BlackRock got, I think, down to 25, I think. Um, I think, they I think it's 25. 20 basis points, actually. Uh, maybe. Here, I'll is, look it up. Is it 20? Um, yeah, I'll look it up here. Well, Bitwise got all, Bitwise is 20. And I think that's number one. And then someone else is 21 or 22. And then I thought BlackRock was 25. But anyway, they, they won the race to have the lowest fee because at the end of the day, what financial advisors want is the lowest fee ETF. That's what they want. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue-chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. Uh, Mark, you are right. It is 25 basis points. And actually, I'm going to um, shill a BlockWorks product here. We actually put together a, a dashboard, <clears throat> I'm going to share my screen, where we track all the uh, the live info <clears throat> about ETFs. So we've got it. Every single issuer for not only Spot, I mean, Spot is the, that's the important product to be tracking right now. But uh, you can see here, we've got nice. 
um, AUM, we've got volume data, we've got custodian, we've got fee, uh, market cap, all of all of this good stuff here. So you can uh, you can track all of this stuff live here. So um, definitely head over. Actually, you would be shocked at the amount of people that have uh, already hit this page. So um, it's a helpful resource. But um, out, so out, so congratulations to Bitwise, and uh, maybe maybe you know this, Mark, but just having been close to the team. Oh, I have to shout out Bitwise. They are my they are my outside of Blockworks. Morgan Creek. I think they're my favorite team in all of crypto. I, so Hunter, but also Matt, Teddy, Matt. that entire team, everyone that I meet from that team is just genuinely good vibes, really competent, intelligent people, long game. They've been active in crypto the entire time that, that I've been here. They've been very patient about, you know, they've had this, this very clear vision that they stuck with in a very challenging environment because when they probably started, the industry wasn't ready for passive investing. They just had this vision, didn't waver. So it's just nice to see the good guys win. And that doesn't always happen. But in this case, you know, it's still yeah. early. But I feel like the good guys won in this case. And I just couldn't be more happy uh, for the Bitwise team. No, it's, the, a great, uh, it's a great, great point. And look, <clears throat> having a vision. Okay, that's good. Yeah, a lot of people have good ideas. Executing on that vision, really important, probably more important than having the vision. But then, because a good vision, like a really good vision necessarily is going to be early, the euphemism for wrong, right? Right. If you're going to feel wrong at first and you're going to get punched in the mouth and they got punched in the mouth multiple times and they got back up and they just kept focused on the vision and and they also did the right thing they raised money from vcs like us and others and they spent money to get the great people in with great experience like matt ran etf.com i mean he he knows the etf world better than most people and you know their their trader hunter was saying this yesterday their trader they took from BlackRock years ago, okay, when she was trading half a quarter trillion dollars, $250 billion to come manage their paltry $250 million. And you know, now they're well over a billion and, and raised $200 million yesterday in a day. They raised more yesterday, new, new inflows, than they had when she came over. Mm. So it's that's cool. That's that's a great story. And Here's the thing. Vanguard making bad decisions, alienating a whole generation. These guys have always said they want to be the next Vanguard. And that's what's going to happen. I, God love them. God love them. And, you know, if you have an experience, uh, if there are operators who've built a business in or in the process of building a business in crypto, you've undoubtedly gone through that period of time where it felt like a not great idea for multiple years in a row. And it is not super easy to keep going. So one foot in front of the other, Bitwise, congratulations. Now, the second, the, in second place, we have, oh, let me share my screen again. In second place on the, the chart here, we've got FBTC. So that is the Fidelity uh, ETF. Not, not a huge, not a huge uh, surprise there, but we've got IBIT in third. With, uh, and, and by the way, the numbers here on, on the actual flows are, so for, for Bitwise, BITB, 237.9 million 
FB, uh, Fidelity was right behind with 227 million, and then IBIT is 111. So uh, sort of just, and then it really, and then it trails off after there. Arc BT Arc B is 65. But then again, there's there's a reason it played out like this. I mean, there's an absolute reason it played out like this. Work. Who did the work? So BlackRock, okay, they announced in June they were coming in. And Larry went on TV a couple of times. But they didn't go out and educate financial advisors. They didn't go out and sit really with point. individual financial yeah. advisors in Topeka, Kansas, or you know Seattle, Washington, and tell them, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Hunter said this yesterday. He said they did 20,000 meetings last year. 20,000 meetings with financial advisors to get them. And again, they have BITW and others, but 20,000 meetings educating. And so it's not shy because look, that number for IBIT is going to go to the moon. It's going to be the biggest one. It's going to be monstrous because the sovereign wealth and all the other people that are part of the the network are are going to support, you know, King Larry at all. So yeah, it's not going to surprise me that, that IBIT becomes the biggest, like iShares are the biggest in, in everything. Fine, fine. Fidelity isn't surprising in the sense that Fidelity, because of, of Abby and, and their, their great team, they have an amazing digital team um, led by Tom. I mean, they're, they're, they're awesome. They also educated their clientele. And those clients, both Bitwise's and Fidelity's clients were ready on day one. Everybody else is hoping that the people who had their heads in the sand, the UBSs and the Merrill Lynch's and, and the Raymond James and all these other people said, no, no, no crypto. Finally say, yep. And we got a little taste last night, sadly, where Vanguard and Bank of America, Merrill Lynch said, nope, nope. We're we're solid with with Ms. Warren, and we're we're not going to allow this this speculative asset. That will change. I'll give it one week. One week, Vanguard changes their tune um, when they start seeing the amount of people who set sail. The uh, that was my little hashtag last night. You know, just just set sail, just leave. So um, that Bitwise number is going to grow because they did the work, they planted the seeds, and Fidelity. How many people are going to transfer from Vanguard to Fidelity today? Thousand, five thousand, ten thousand? It's going to be a big number. Mm. Big. All right, we're gonna, that's going to be a big number. We're going to have to keep our eyes on that. One, one. Maybe you know the answer to this, Mark. But one thing I was going to bring up before is in the Bitwise filing. I remember they were so BlackRock was seeding IBIT with ten million dollars, which in ETF land again that's a big number. Bitwise big number. was seeding with with two hundred million, which I think been using this word a lot recently, but it's pretty unprecedented in terms of the amount of seed. Do you know what the story was with mm-hmm. how they ended up securing that? Was Did that play a big part in their winning the, the flow? Sort of Huge, huge part. And and again, I don't, I I actually don't know the, the specific details. I, I meant to ask that to Hunter yesterday, but I, I just didn't get to it. Um, but it, it, what that was secured before Okay. Now, whether that's a single 200, which I don't think it is, or whether that is a whole bunch of people who said, yep, we're going to be ready on day one. Because it was really interesting. I I got a a tweet. 
uh, and I, I love Twitter. I mean, I love Twitter. The people I meet with real expertise, like on the front lines, they might have seven followers, but they're really interesting people. And it's just so cool. But this guy tweets at me last night that actually he wasn't even tweeting at me. I just came into my feed and he said, I can confirm that these brokerage firms don't get it, right? I'm at this firm, they have a trillion dollars of assets and they will not let me buy this for my clients, even though my clients are asking. So in some places they'll let you sign a waiver to just, they'll make you sign a waiver for triple levered inverse, but you got to sign a waiver for this because I can't do it. And and I just sent him back some stuff saying, look, you know, thanks for your, your vision. He's this young guy. He's got, he and his wife in this great picture on his, on his uh, PFP. I said, just thank you for your commitment and your vision. Patience is a virtue and, and this too shall pass and, and it'll all work out. He's like, yeah, I hear you, but I don't know. Maybe it's time to go find a new home. Um, and I, I just, I think people don't understand how I don't know how important these decisions really are. And, um, oh, I, but my point there was that he said in this tweet, three months, they told him it was going to be three months, that they had to wait three months to see if the liquidity was adequate. And I'm like, okay, that is a relic, literally, that is a relic of 10, 15 years ago when most of the money was in mutual funds and you really did need to see if enough money was going to come in the mutual fund to make it efficacious because the fees were high. Today, we know in real time that there was plenty of liquidity in these products. Like it set records if you put them all together. Okay. And I do find it awesome that the crypto ETF, ETP, beat the number one previously, which was an ESG EFT. I love that. Mark, I want to get your, I want to get your take on some of these macro topics here on, on inflation. Yeah. So, well, that's definitely good because I just did my 10 surprises last night. So I'm, I'm all oh, about good. the big macro stuff. Okay. So you know what? What? I mean, all right, so I'm going to ask you about inflation because we because we yep. just had a print here. But any other uh, surprises, you know, that you thought were that you thought were relevant, I would love to. Well, no, inflation, that. inflation was was part and parcel of, of two of of our surprises. One was on uh, interest rates and, and the second was on on bonds. And look, I I mean, I didn't see what the print was, but um, look, inflation's going down. And it's going down fast. And the only thing left in CPI that's keeping it even modestly high is rent. And rents have now fallen seven months in a row. So, uh, but used car prices have collapsed. They've got, to be honest, if you've seen Tesla car prices, holy crap, used car. Don't, you don't want to have to sell your Tesla. Um, driving it, pretty good, but don't try to sell it. Uh, but used car prices generally are down and oil prices have collapsed and year over year had negative impact on inflation. So uh, uh, I, I think there's going to be more talk of deflation. So you know, one of our surprises was uh, there's, there's no impetus for rate cuts at all. 
Um, mm. Yet he may do that. And if he does, the surprise could be that we get a, you know, the double, the, the chart that's going around that everybody's looking at, which is the double spike in inflation in the 70s. What people forget about is that actually wasn't a spike in inflation per se. It was a double counting literally in the data that Volcker had his guys assemble because they were counting rates and mortgages at the same time. Um, so all that said, uh, I think deflation is coming, not not inflation. You, you, you may be very right about that. I, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've. I don't even know if I have an opinion. I think I'm neutral on this on this particular opinion. I, I don't think I have a great forecast for the secular inflation picture. But you know, in terms of where we're at now, for folks who are following along only via audio, not on screen, we're looking at the chart of U.S. CPI headline, and we're looking at core. And we, you know, we've had a, a flippening in inflation for a while, and that core has remained stronger than than headline inflation for a while because we've had deflation or yeah, deflation in a couple of different categories. But, you know, we've had a slight um, rebound, I guess, month over month. So the December print came in at 3.9% for core and 3.4% uh, for headlines. So a little bit stronger, I think, than folks were expecting. And part of the reason for that is goods uh, inflation, which has been, uh, it's been outright deflationary for the last uh, couple months, uh, turned slightly inflationary again. And if you look at you know, the different categories of uh, the top five individual contributors to U.S. headline, you know, shelter is still playing a big role there. You know, uh, motor vehicles, insurance, uh, electricity, um, that that sort of thing. You know, I, it's it's not a, this isn't a massive inflation print one way or the other. I think it's a little bit warmer yeah. than-, than Well, that was the point I was making is that shelter component is now the largest component and it's nosediving. And it's it's gonna it's gonna continue. There's way too much supply, particularly of multifamily getting built. I mean, you drive around Chapel Hill where I live, thousands of apartments being built. I mean, thousands. And they're you know, you drive by them at night and they're just they're just dark. So so that rents are coming down. But but the thing that that's just not being talked about enough, the money supply growth, both in the U.S., but also globally, is contracting at the fastest rate ever. Really? Ever. We that. just beat the 1929 print that, I mean, it it is literally, it's like you're through the bottom like of the screen, like my finger's going off the screen. I mean, it's through the bottom of the graph. And we've, and, and look, we needed to do that because they made a mistake in 2020 and you know the cult of kelton ites they 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 created too much money and it went into everything right we've talked about this my home did not appreciate my home didn't get better it actually wore out but the price went up because the money got less good and so they got to fix that and i, I mean again on the way back from uh Pinehurst, my wife and I stopped and we got one sandwich to split at this amazing place called Merritt's uh, in town that does these amazing BLTs. It was 20 bucks for one person. I mean, it was two, two people because we split it, but 20 bucks for a sandwich? I'm, that, I'm, I'm with you. I feel like 
that is my constant life here in New York. I'm just every everything shocks me how how much things cost. But let me ask you this though how how can the amount of how can the money supply been going be going down? I just looked at so one of the other uh, I mean it's not a surprise anymore. It's my least favorite statistic in the world, but the the U.S. deficit uh, for yeah. one or for for the last quarter was uh, you know half a trillion dollars. So run yes. rate, $2 trillion deficits per yep. year. Doesn't m- my understanding of, of how this works is that the government spends money into existence roughly. So how, if we're running a $2 trillion deficit, how can we be, how can the money supply be going down? Or is that a silly question? No, it's not a silly question. Um, and there's, there's a mechanism that, that I, I'm, I can't describe well without kind of looking at a picture, but deficit spending certainly is a component. So fiscal is certainly a component of the demand for the creation of money. But the other side of it is the monetary policy, which has to do with loan demand and loan creation Bank lending went negative for the first time in 70 years, 60 years. I can't remember the exact period, um, but that's a huge part of it, the the money and credit creation. And then there's a multiplier effect. And again, I, I don't want to speak out of school because, although I do that a lot, um, but uh, I'm close enough. I'll just talk about it. Um, but here, there there's so many parts to the actual – M2 money supply, but a big chunk of it is you create the money, but then there's a multiplier effect because of credit and that is collapsing. It's collapsing. Mm. And the velocity of money comes in here too. And the velocity is like plumbing new lows. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. uh, Because the, the, at least in my understanding on this, it's this is you know you're getting deep into the monetary plumbing here. It's actually a really critical. It's funny. It's, it's a question as critical as this can there can be so many opinions on. But what is the how, how do we create money in the U.S.? It's the one thing I feel like the cult of Kelton, the the M- MMT people got right is the is the order of of how money gets created, which is basically the government decides to spend money, which is the the deficit, and then. You know, you kind of sop that up, uh, sop up that liquidity by issuing issuing bonds. So, um, anyway, something to something to keep an eye on. And I, I feel like it was sort of a nothing inflation print. I guess we'll have to see. Um, you know what we end up getting uh, this this next month. But it was it was uh, it was kind of a muted reaction from the market as well. So, looking. Well, I don't her, know if you're gonna be able to see it, but um, you're you're right a little bit on that. If you can see, this is. Uh, money supply growth, right? It went negative. Yeah. It's below the for the first time in in a hundred years. But to your point, it did tick up a little bit here. This is the latest print for December, so yep. that probably reflects a little bit of that crazy um, deficit number that you're talking about. So that's the newest number that just just came out. Yeah. A week ago. It's the first. So, yeah. Yeah. I just, that is, that might be my equivalent for you, Mark. I just get extremely frustrated with that, that number. I'm just blown away that we're, 
that's our policy, but I guess it is. So the in terms of the the market reaction to to the CPI print, again, pretty muted. Well, but actually, just to go back to that, that that's that's cronyism, Michael. That's back to the gerontocracy. All of that is preventable, but it's because all of these senators and congressmen have cut deals with one another. And it's like, okay, if you give me money for my bridge project in my state, I'll give you money for your defense contractor and we'll send it to this country and they'll send it back to us. That's that's cronyism. And that is because of the gerontocracy. So – you know, you and I have slightly different worldviews on this. I, I, I would probably, I would agree with you. I'm going to repeat the George Carlin phrase here, which is, you don't need a formal conspiracy theory when interests converge, and 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 that's that's how I believe it happens. But I will say, and I'll see if I can find this clip for you. But I was watching a clip of Mitch McConnell get interviewed about about Ukraine, and I got to be honest. I mean, by the way, I'm going to caveat this by saying. I've seen a lot of very realistic deepfakes recently. So I, I actually haven't gone and, and seen if this is authenticated. Right, so right, right, right. I don't know. No, I know the one you're talking about. We're going to have to figure like, something well, out here. Yeah. But I, but anyway, I watched this video of Mitch McConnell talking about Ukraine. I suppose I haven't checked to make sure it's not doctored. But if it wasn't, man, this was a, a pretty stunning. I mean, he basically was just like, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we are actually supplying. We're, we're getting to rebuild the industrial base. These are going, these are jobs going to Americans. We're not dying over in Ukraine and we're getting to disrupt one of our greatest foes. And I was like, man, that sounds a lot like what Mark says sometimes about uh, this. Time. I mean, that, that is, you know, anyway, but. I don't well, I mean, you, again, you, you couldn't pay for that kind of honesty. But again, yeah. he's so old. I mean, and, and, and again, I don't know if you've seen the video of Mitch where he, he gaps. I mean, and I, this this is scary, and I, I feel I feel badly for for his family. I mean, he was talking, and he just stopped. Like he like literally stopped, and the aide had to come up and say, "Senator, Senator, you you were saying." So, when you lose the filter, that's when you get the admissions that you got to watch, and, and I'm pretty sure that one's not a deep fake. I because I watched the same thing, and I actually I, watched looking- live. I'm looking so, it up. Yeah, I'm watching. I'm. I just looked it up. I found it in the Hill and these these other sites. So, yeah, apparently this was a real. Apparently this was a real interview. So yeah, like I said, I watched yeah. it live and I just went, "Yep, thank you. That 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 yeah. that's helpful." Yeah, pretty wild. So going back, like to never ask your grandparents how you look, right? <laughs> I, we need younger. We need younger people in. in we need younger people. We need we you. need younger people. I agree. We need Vivek. Um, we need Vivek. I tell you what. You know, I I don't want to make. I'm, this not, a, I'm thing, not a Vivek guy, to be honest. I, I he I, he wants to he wants to defund the Department of Education. I just can't get behind that. No, I, no, no, no. Okay, that's. Okay. If I was a single I, issue I, voter. I, I'm a I'm an education voter. Well, now 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 I'm never going to say anything nice about him. So I you just he just lost me. I just he's such a good communicator and he's such. He's he's smart, right? And but that's that's a bad that's a bad platform. So you're I, I am actually a single policy. You, you know, education is my thing. So all right, he's dead to me. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. All right, let's talk about this, and then I want to I want to close talking about the Circle IPO. So 
the, la- the last thing here that we're looking at is so muted reaction on markets on the CPI report. I feel like most people also agree that it is a bit of a nothing burger. The mar- We're looking at, if you're following along on screen, we're looking at the what the market is pricing in for Fed funds change in 2024. Basically, where are we going to end in terms of rate cuts? We're pricing in about 150 basis points worth of cuts. And uh, impossible. And, and at this, literally impossible. At, right? I think I think I've got the odds here. Yep, of a of a rate cut in March at about seventy percent. Um, so that's what that's when people think we're zero. We're going to start. You think There's so? zero probability. I, and what's amazing is five and a half. I'm not sure how you get a half, but it's five and a half are priced in, um, and starting, you know, in March, which means every meeting in the year there would have to be a rate cut. No way that's happening. The one that got me though, Michael, was 2024. You know, the dot plot. So, so today the dot plot is perfect. They're all we're five and a half. Okay, great. But then by the end of this year, the dot plot had spread. About 150 basis points, you know, from from highest to lowest. By the end of 25, there was one uh, governor who said, we're going to be at 5.375. And there was another one that said we're going to be at 2.375. Like, do you know something that I don't? I mean, you're telling me we need to go back to global financial crisis-esque rates? Within 24 months, yet I thought we had the greatest economy ever. I thought there was no chance of recession. I mean, why Why would we go to 2.375? Now, unless they finally realized, you know, we, we can't afford, I think the new number is $967 billion of interest on the debt this year, and 21% of the debt has to be refinanced. So that number is going to go up. So maybe that's why they're going to be forced to cut. That that that's interesting. So I'm going to take the under. I'm probably going to be wrong, but that that's what I'm going to take. You might be right. I this has been a, another sort of long-standing and contentious debate between different thinkers, which is can we afford? You know, does the U.S. Uh, take into account our our debt? and the amount of interest expense when we're talking about seeing interest rates. And, you know, there's a, a large contingency that has a lot of good arguments that they don't actually care. There is a another contingency which would argue, you know, in just a spirit as a way that in the long term they have to care. Uh, I don't know. I can see it in the long well, term don't, probably. You don't have to care until you do. Right. Right? right. That, that, that's the way it works. You don't care, you don't care, you don't care, and then you do. And, and that's how it's always worked. And if you go back in history, it doesn't happen very often, but, but those collapses, when they happen, they're ugly, right? Whether it's yeah. Weimar, whether it's, you know, 1929 to 33, it, it doesn't happen very often, but, but yeah, it's, it's ugly. And so, yeah, you're right. You don't have to worry that there's $34 trillion of debt well, it's not debt because you're never going to pay it back. And it's not really debt. Debt debt actually is an instrument that two people exchange with the expectation of paying principal and interest, right? That, that's a bond. That's That ain't what this mm-hmm. is. This is a, mm-hmm. an accounting entry that's like, just don't worry. Just don't open the closet. 
It's like when you have a closet that's totally full and you put the last thing in, just don't open the door and you'll be fine. But if you open, if you forget and you open the door, you're buried. And that's, that's where we are. Yeah. All right. I, I, in our our closing minutes here, I just want to, this was, this sort of went under the radar this week because everyone is so focused on the Bitcoin ETF, but I'm looking at a headline here, Circle confidentially files for IPO following banner year for crypto stocks. So Circle as listeners of this program will probably know, is the issuer of USDC, the stablecoin. And they announced on Thursday that it is, again, they uh, confidentially filed paperwork with SEC for their IPO. So yeah, I, I think they're they're sort of looking at, one, there's renewed interest for clearly Bitcoin. Um, it's been a good year for Bitcoin. It's also been a good year for crypto equities. Uh, Bitcoin mm-hmm. mining stocks have done extremely well. Coin, you know, up some 400% or something like that on the year has done extremely well. And, you know, Circle's probably gauging that there's investor investor interest. And uh, Yeah, well, uh, well, let's caveat that. So, because I, I, got, I got an argument with, with my, you know, they're my partners and former partners, and that they're my active partners for Funds 1 and Fund 2, and now they're less active on, on later funds, but Pomp and Jason. And in December, uh, and you can go back and you can see Pomp tweeting about this. They're like, oh, the miners, the miners are going to the moon. This is going to be amazing. Like, no, they, they went to the moon, right? They had their recovery from bankruptcy. It was a great trade a year ago. You know, they went up 400, 500%. And I'm like, guys, this, this is bad. Because on top of the fact that they're overvalued and they're not tech stocks, they are commodity stocks, right? They, they produce a commodity and their assets to, to value. Um, I mean, the, the asset they produce appreciates, but they don't get to hold it. They have to sell it to pay the electricity bills. So long story short, I think it's bad. And what's going to happen is there's going to be a rotation out of the proxies, the Bitcoin proxies, into the Bitcoin ETF. So Mark, since, since we had that this. argument, I mean, and they went down, what, 14 16%? yesterday or two days ago. So where people were watching this on Saturday. So on Thursday, on the day of the, the ETF, um, they went down 14, 16%. And, you know, MicroStrategy, <laughs> I mean, look, I love Michael Saylor. I love MicroStrategy. I think it's a great levered bet on, on Bitcoin. But the stock's gone from 720 to 530 in two weeks after you know having a great run in 23 but it is and was a proxy right yep. people couldn't own bitcoin directly so they owned it and now you can own both that's the thing you don't have to sell this is my old scaramucci problem when when mooch went out and he said hey y'all put 1% with usco you got too much usco risk you know give me half i'm like no mooch say you put one with Mark, give me one and have 2% in alternatives because that's more than, you know, you should probably have 10, but two is better. Don't take half mine. So you didn't have to take from MicroStrategy, just, just buy the ETF too. Because you don't want half a percent or 1%. You want two, three, five, eight, ten percent 10% of your, your assets here. But the proxies and the miners in particular, I, I would not be buying them right now. Personally, I I'm I'm in that camp. I've also made that argument that I think, uh, yeah, a, a hidden premium in proxies. It's probably going to be extracted through the Bitcoin ETF. 
that said, I love Coinbase because uh, for oh, many reasons. Love Coinbase. And, Coinbase is different. And, and I love Circle. Love and I love Circle. And I love Circle. And I, I think, you know, as a, you know, I would call myself a, a crypto native, uh, you know, my one of my pain points operating in this industry has been there are a lot of people that are really professionals and like blue chip, but we got a lot of we got a lot of people that aren't blue chips too. And it's just been nice to follow Coinbase as a, hey, we can point to our blue chip, you know, regulated public US company. And I would like more of those. And Circle would be my top pick for well and did you know, and, Coinbase and, did seven billion dollars in a single day on their OTC desk the other day, set an all-time record. That is just totally misunderstood. They're going to custody eight out of the 11 or seven out of the 11. That's misunderstood. And and yes, there are some people selling coin to buy the ETF. Fine. But Coinbase, love it. And Circle in USDC, yeah, there's some competition with Tether and all that good stuff. And, I, and I'll, I'll throw a bone to the Sol guys. You know, I'm I'm nervous about Solana. I still don't believe they fixed all the bugs and stuff. But using a Solana wallet with USDC, it's like butter. I mean, it's it's awesome. It's super fast, super cheap. And that is a use case, a global use case, again, which Ms. Warren fears. Um where I can send money anywhere I want with no, I don't actually have to ask for freaking permission. And, you know, and you got me on this because you invited me down to Texas and I, I went to permissionless and, and I came away with, with my new life motto, which is live permissionless, right? I am sick of living in the permissioned world. I'm sick of it. I changed banks. I left Bank of America and went to a local bank here just for that reason. And I still have money in the bank. It's not all in, in you know, Bitcoin. But uh, I am moving increasingly to live permissionless. And that's awesome. I love it, Mark. That's as good of a place as I need to end it. As always, best hour of my week, my friend. And I will see you here same time next week. Awesome. And I love repping Blockworks on the logo shirt. Very nice. Yeah, I baby. I love this. I don't seem to have one of those. We, I, can, we can fix that. That's a solvable problem. <laughs> we'll hook you up. We'll hook you up. Have a good one. All right. Cheers, Mark. Cheers.